Welcome to another episode of Ask Floss, the weekly Ask Me Anything. Thank you so much for joining me and continuing to support the podcast. It means so much to me. We have a lot of questions to get through today, so let's get straight into it. Okay, let's kick off with the first question. Dream job as a kid. Well, when I asked my mum what I said I wanted to be, apparently I said I wanted to be a fucking princess. Um, I also used to talk about how I wanted to be a famous singer, apparently. I say apparently because I can't remember saying this, but this is what my mum tells me. What I do remember, though, is I sung Sophie Ellis Bexter. I used to sing her song, Murder on the Dance Floor, and I used to sing it to my primary school teacher, like, Murder on the Dance Floor, and I was about 10 years old, and I just used to go up and sing it to my primary school teacher, Um, and it was the most embarrassing thing ever, also kind of iconic. Um, I used to stand on, like, this little footstool in my kitchen and sing... (laughs) So I don't know what's really going on there, but I have always been writing. I've 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 had a journal since I was very very young, and I never really saw it as something that I could do professionally or something that people would be interested in until I started posting it on the internet and people were like, "Fucking hell, I like what you have to say." So, when I was young, I wanted to be a princess and a superstar, and in many ways I'm still a performer. I guess I've always wanted to be a performer. That's for fucking sure. I like making people laugh. I like enlightening people. I like having conversations with people. So, yeah. Okay, next question. Thoughts on polyamory? You do you, babes. You do you. If you feel like you have so much fucking love to give that it's it's not enough to give to one person and you're overpouring with it, you're fucking abundant, your, your, your teacup is overflowing into the saucer and you want to give love to lots of people and everyone involved is consenting and fucking loving it, then go for it. That's my thought on polyamory. Um, I don't think it's for me in in terms of the way my energy would be spent. I'd find it, I think I'd find it very draining. I like dating multiple people, um, but I don't know that I could like really give myself to multiple people. Um, Yeah, that's my thoughts on polyamory. Okay, next question. Confidence about non-pink body parts when pink nipples equal sexy because of whiteness. Well, I'm a white woman myself, so I, I can't speak to the experience of Um, feeling uncomfortable with my body because I'm not white but I would say looking at other women's bodies who do have the same body types as you that's going to completely fucking refresh your framing of what is sexy I know that following plus size women plus size black women all of this kind of stuff on social media has completely reframed what I see as sexy and what I see as desirable and attractive. And I do think that following a wide range of people on social media who have these bodies and seeing these bodies being desired, that might be something that you could lean into. Okay, next question. Am I a bad feminist if I find old-fashioned chivalry attractive? Absolutely not. Let's like say for argument's sake that it's a, a kink. Let's say that chivalry is your kink. No kink shaming around here. In fact, like the the, the, the biggest rule of feminism, if you're going to be a sex-positive feminist, is no kink-shaming. Like, whatever you're attracted to isn't inherently bad. However, things should be questioned if you feel that this is something that actually you don't enjoy and it makes you uncomfortable and you're forcing yourself to like it. There's a difference, right? There's a difference between actually feeling like this flutter of desire when a man courts you and then actually thinking you like something but having a deep pit in your stomach of it being really uncomfortable but oh well this is the way things are you know I think there's a difference between the two and you should just have no fucking shame for liking whatever you like okay next question moving on to advice here we go 
Should I tell my best friend of 10 years that her married dad hit on me and tried to kiss me? Fucking hell. Um, is there a situation where you could poke towards... Maybe you could say your dad has made me uncomfortable and it's been really hard for me to tell you this because I love you and I don't want you to think that this is a reflection. You always have to treat it very carefully, right? Because you don't want to, your, your friend to feel accused of having a this and that dad because that's when people become defensive and they stop listening to you. So maybe you want to say to your friend, you know, your dad's made me feel uncomfortable and I really have wanted to bring this to you because I can't sit with it anymore. Um, and if your friend doesn't want to see it, and, and she's, you know, getting defensive. And you still love your friend, right? Because friends are good to have. Maybe you want to say to your friend, you know, you want to set some boundaries with her and say, I can't come to your house anymore because your dad makes me uncomfortable. I'm more than happy to see you, but it's, it, your dad makes me feel uncomfortable. And obviously the risk is that she goes back to her dad and he gets defensive and, and says that she's lying and then it's he's gaslighting her and you and everyone and it's, it's really horrific. But I feel like you feel like you need to tell your friend this. And maybe maybe tell your parents if you have a good relationship with your parents. Tell tell someone that you can trust to kind of almost be like your reality check um, that you're not crazy. And it's even better if someone else can witness this behaviour as well. Maybe you've got another friend who has also had an uncomfortable experience with the dad. You never know. But also you don't want to go running around saying stuff about her dad because then it will get back and blah. Um, so I, I would confide in someone that you can trust to believe you as well. That's what I have to say on that one. Okay, moving on to the next question. I hate my job, should I quit? You have every right to leave a job on that basis alone that you do not like it. If something isn't making you happy and it's boring you, just like a relationship, you have every right to leave it. I got a lot of stick when I started saying dump him online. Um, a lot of people were like, what about finding a resolution? And what about communicating? But if a person is at wit's end with a relationship, they've probably tried several times to rectify a situation. And I think particularly with women, we stay in things longer because of the guilt that we feel for leaving it. Like we feel guilty. We, we want to see if we can really give it our all. Um, and we almost wait for the thing to kick us out. We almost wait for the partner to cheat on us so that we have a reason to end it with someone. We wait for the job to give us a, a mental or physical breakdown until we quit it. When I first moved to London, I worked two jobs alongside my university work and I was mentally and physically exhausted, but I was like, I'm 19, I can do it. I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. When I would get home from university, I would do my illustrations and then I would package my prints and put them online. And then I wouldn't sleep until the next day where I would then wake, I would have like maybe like one or two hours sleep, wake up, on my way to university, go to the post office to post all of my orders, then go to uni, do the lecture, come home, do uni work, and then do everything all over again. And I also worked in a restaurant in central London. And something had to give. I was resenting everything. I couldn't spend time with friends. And even though I physically could do it, I was at 100% capacity. And my body started to show those signs. I was physically exhausted. I had back pain. Everything about me was just, I was exhausted. I was snapping at people. I was just extremely unpleasant and overworked. And so something had to give. And I quit my job at the restaurant because I was in student uni halls. So I had a student loan to be able to pay for my student hall's rent, but it meant that I had to put all of my energy into my artwork and try and get that to take off. So it meant that there was no option but for me to succeed. So all I had to rely on was my art money that I was making 
from selling my prints. And then I saved up money and then I was able to just, yeah, leave that job. So I think if you hate your job and it's like leave before it's too late and your body tells you. Next question, how to be okay when your partner breaks up with you because they need to choose themselves? Well, the question you've asked is how to be okay. I think maybe what you want to know is how to accept it because you'll only really ever have peace with something once you've accepted it and that you can't control the outcome of it. If your partner's made this decision, I think I understand how it's really confusing because you want what's best for them. And you know what really fucking hurts is what's best for someone is to not be with you. And what I want to remind you is that it's not you specifically, it's likely that a relationship is what's not good for this person in their life right now. And that if this person was to stay with you, their time and their energy would be, you'd be getting the crumbs of it. Because let's say this person isn't a good partner to be around because of their mental health and they need to go and focus on that. And that, that's the reason that they're choosing themselves. I think there are many reasons why we leave friendships and relationships that have nothing to do with the person, but about what's good for us. And I would try to separate how worthy you are as a person from the decision that this person has made. I think it's a different story altogether if you've been mistreating someone to the point where they have to leave you. That's where I would say, okay, you need to, you know, introspect and get some therapy to look at what you're doing to people to cause them to constantly cut you out of their life but this sounds like someone's made a decision that that maybe a relationship isn't what they need right now um and i'm sure there are many times in your life where you'll feel the same and a relationship isn't what you need it's not what's good for you and ultimately further down the line you will realize that this was the best thing for you too because i think glennon doyle says there's no such thing as one way liberation so when one person releases and liberates themselves it goes both ways because you now can find someone who does have the time for you and who does cherish their relationship with you. Next question, how to deal with a relationship with a close family member who is toxic. So when you don't have the distance, the physical and emotional boundaries are probably the thing that's going to be most important here. If you're sharing a household with someone um, who is as you described, toxic. I don't know what that means within your context because it's such a broad word. Let's say it's someone who puts you down, right? Let's say you're dealing with a family member who's putting you down. Um, There's a technique that I learned um, actually through Dr. Omani, who I've interviewed for this podcast. I learned through her YouTube videos that there's a technique called grey rocking. And I highly encourage you to Google this. Grey rocking is the tactic used as the victim of someone who is verbally abusing you, emotionally manipulating you, gaslighting you, where you go so boring, like as boring as a grey rock. So let's say you've come home from work and someone's berating you in the kitchen and someone's saying all of these things and they're nitpicking you. You almost have to just go so boring because what they're craving from you is that they want to draw blood metaphorically, right? They want to draw a reaction. They want that energy from you. They want you to get you out of their out of your character. They want you to defend yourself and scream, shout and cry, whatever, right? Which is called narcissistic supply. That's what they need. You have to be so boring, okay? You have to be like, that's cool. Literally, that's cool. Okay, I'm going to go upstairs now. Like, you have to be so boring, as boring as a grey rock. And what you'll notice as you go, quote unquote, grey rock, is that 
they might get more agitated and they're going to try harder and harder and harder. But you just have to keep grey rocking. And you'll find that the situation is more likely to de-escalate. That's the only thing that I I feel I can impart with you is to Google grey rocking. It's helped me and it's helped lots of other people. I think that's a really good one. Next question. How do you deal with not being able to make everyone happy? Damn. If you're talking about like actually creating joy in people's lives or making everyone happy as in pleasing others, I think those are two two very different things. I think women struggle a lot with pleasing others and appeasing others with their decisions. So maybe like making everyone happy means not getting a tattoo because your parents hate it, right? That would be not making everyone happy but then it's at the expense of yourself. So I always weigh up the cost. I'm like, okay, so I won't do this thing because of all the the criticism or the backlash or the whatever. But then I think at what cost? I'm I'm silencing myself. I'm muting my self-expression. And anytime I do that, a bit of me dies. And it's so sad. It's, I wouldn't say it dies. I'd say it gets dampened. It gets dampened. And that is so fucking sad. And the world needs more people who have come alive can't remember who said that I think I read it like 14 and it was just so empowering and from then on I was just like absolutely doing whatever the fuck I want from now on and I think that that does not have to come at the expense of being a compassionate person either it doesn't mean being a dickhead on social media and and like critiquing and bullying people because this is what I want to do it brings me joy no still be a compassionate person uh but also take yourself into consideration first you know you've got to be responsible for yourself but also it's okay if something you do pisses someone off purely because you are entirely being yourself and not causing them any harm at all okay next question me and my best friend have been friends virtually for so long now we don't know how to get along IRL well this this question comes with a lot of I'm having to fill the gaps in my head with the context for this question. Um, I don't know if you've ever met in person or if you've just had an online relationship maybe because of COVID and you knew each other before. Yeah, that's that's a toughie, that is. I um, was in a relationship and I, I hadn't seen them for a few weeks. And then by the time that they came back, because I would see them all the time, by the time they came back, they felt like a stranger. If it's been two years um have have you been in physical contact with anyone i think it's because it's it requires intimacy so when you've had like a break from that physical intimacy with a person it can feel like interacting perhaps with a stranger's body um i don't know if you're talking about you don't know how to interact physically uh, the conversation's still good there's still a lot of context that i'm missing from this um but i would definitely tell your friend that this is how you feel but it doesn't have to be not everything has to be incredibly direct you could almost make a joke about it and then see how they feel sometimes making light of uncomfortable emotions and feelings helps me you know you just make a joke about it oh this is a bit weird isn't it like you know you can make a joke about the fact that maybe you haven't hugged in a while and then they might bring it up also I think directly saying to someone I don't feel the same anymore it could hurt their feelings it could make them feel uh, rejected I would feel incredibly rejected if someone said that to me I think there are so many ways that you can tell your friend that I still love you but this is different isn't it that's my advice for that one I've never been in that situation before Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? No. 
Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed with mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. What's your go-to junk slash comfort food? Food's a really weird topic and I don't want to promote anything that's like, oh, this is what I like to pig out or any of this kind of weird language about like pigging out and, and binging and all this kind of stuff. I just think there's so much more interesting things to talk about because we attach morals to food, right? So I'm not going to attach any morals to the food. Let's just say what's my favorite food. My favorite food, I love Asian food. I love Indian food. I love pad thai. Mm, my favorites. Next question. Thoughts on marriage. I can't help but find it weird. <sighs> I agree. I find the concept of marriage odd. If I want to leave a relationship, I don't want to have to ask the fucking government to exit that. I don't like the idea of that as someone who's been in, it felt trapped in a relationship before, emotionally trapped. It makes me feel a little bit claustrophobic, like the idea of having to seek permission. I also understand why people get married. A wedding sounds fucking gorgeous. I'd love to have a wedding, but I'm not sure that the contract to like have to wake up next to someone every day. I'm not, I feel like to me, the idea of that, maybe the reality is different. I don't know. I'm not fucking married, but I feel like the the, the idea of that sounds very trapping to me personally. Um, but again, totally understand why people do it. And also people do it for many different reasons. Some are legal reasons, some are financial reasons. But yeah, like if you want to know more about my perspective on marriage, I have a chapter in my book, Women Don't You Pretty, that you can read. Okay, next question. How many tattoos do you have? And do they all mean something? No, some of them mean literally nothing. Most of my tattoos are of women. Wait, I do just need to count them. It says one on my hand, two. Oh, I'm fully clothed right now. I think I have nine tattoos. I think I have three or four by at Molly the Bumting on Instagram. She's fucking incredible. I have one, my one of my favorite tattoos. It's just this big piece on, on, under my forearm uh, by at Girl New York. And then I have another two by at Sweet as a Nut on Instagram. She started tattooing again. She's incredible. She was my first tattoo. My first tattoo is just a, a pinup girl. Um, so I guess that kind of means something. I was like, fucking all these men have pinup women on their bodies. I want one as well. So my first tattoo was a pinup girl on my arm. Super fucking gay. And it just says, you don't own me. And I even asked the artist to change how the woman's eyes looked because I said she looked too submissive. <laughs> and I wanted her to like be staring with fuck me eyes um, at the person looking at her. So I guess that kind of means something. And I have a tattoo that literally just says women. Like, for fuck's sake. I have one on my leg that says, Oh, Sweet Nothing, which is my favorite Velvet Underground song. And I got that tattooed. Um, and then I have a rose on my hand because I just think it looks fucking sick. Uh, yeah, so those are my tattoos. Okay, next question. Two of my ex-girlfriends got together. What the fuck do I do with that? Uh, honestly, move on with your life. <laughs> it's like, you've moved on, right? It has nothing to do with you. 
I, I do think it is odd also because then you have the anxiety of like, well, what are they saying about me? But it's none of your business, babe. It's none of your business what they say about you. Also, I feel like this is so common with queer women because there's so few of us, or at least it feels that way, right? There's so few of us that you end up recycling partners and dating other people in your group or exes. And there's literally one of my favorite books on being a queer woman is called My Girlfriend is My Ex-Girlfriend's Ex-Girlfriend. So it's a very common queer thing. I actually massively recommend reading that book. Also, it's got so many of these kind of dilemmas answered by a multiple kinds of different queer women. Okay, next question. Moving on to advice. Here we go. How to deal with sexist colleagues. I think if you have other women in the office, it's really good to kind of like, or maybe some guys who you know aren't sexist because you've heard them express their views before it's good to gather allies I think and to tell a trusted person about your experiences so that you can get it sorted through the proper systems if your workplace has some kind of system to deal with harassment that would be great I understand it's tricky because it's your place of work you can't control the people you're around again I'm going to bring it up again the grey rock method let's say this is a person who for some reason they don't want to fire they don't want to talk to the person because oh he's worked here for so long and blah 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 and they don't want to do the accountability process you could consider whether this is the job for you and you could leave um or if this is your dream job and you know it's only temporary and you want you want to use this environment to to, to get a promotion or or to to go somewhere else whatever and you want to stay at this job and you you have to accept that this person is there for whatever reason I don't know what situation that would be then the gray rock method is incredible a lot of the times when people are sexist and they say it and if they know you're a feminist they might say it even purposefully to wind you up and then shrug it off as a joke and say I'm just joking you're too sensitive the best reaction is no reaction and to use the method of grey rocking okay next question how to cope managing a relationship with a partner with a different sex drive so I actually spoke about this with my guest Alex Fox in our episode about the sex call-in that I did with some of you who phoned in which was incredible and what she said, which I'm just going to mimic her advice here, I thought it was brilliant, is just the bog standard like affirmation of you don't owe anybody sex. Uh, whether it's you in the situation who wants more sex or the other person, if you want sex and your partner doesn't, but you have the horn or your partner has a boner or your partner is aroused and you don't want to have sex with them, you do not have to have sex with them. And that person is entitled to go and masturbate and take care of themselves. Uh, that, that's all I'm going to say on that subject. Um, is that you don't owe anybody sex. I'm sure that there are ways that you can communicate more effectively of when you like to have sex and what gets you in the mood and what doesn't so that you can both get your needs met, but you do not owe anybody sex. Okay, next question. How to stop yourself going back to that person? (sighs) There are so many things that get in the way of us making good decisions. And the biggest one is boredom. Sometimes you don't even like the person, you're just bored. How many of us have found ourselves on dating apps when we're hungover on a Sunday? How many of us have found ourselves re-downloading Tinder, Hinge, whatever it is, just because we're bored? How many of us have found ourselves texting a person 
because we have some spare time and we're left alone with our own thoughts that we can't face. And so we reach for the phone on the bedside table and we send them a text. It happens all the time. Um, I think it requires a lot of self-discipline and replacing those those feelings of boredom with something else. If you have an emotional addiction to an ex-partner that you're trying to break and you don't want to keep going back to them, I would actually tell a friend to the point where it then becomes embarrassing to say, yeah, I went back with them last night. You need to tell a friend of your goals so that it can almost act as an accountability partner. Um, I find that when people know my intentions, it, it helps me stick to them. Else it's just a promise I made to myself that I've broken, which, by the way, is just as bad as breaking a promise to someone else because you learn not to trust yourself, right? And the biggest way to build self-trust is to keep promises with yourself. And there's no feeling more rewarding than that, than making promises to yourself and with yourself that ultimately can start off really small. It could be, I am going to wake up at this time tomorrow and I'm going to get out of my bed and have a shower at this time and I'm not going to press news on my alarm. That could be the promise that you make to yourself and just make these small promises. And then the bigger ones, like going back to people who aren't good for you, don't feel as tricky anymore. Okay, next question. How to deal with male relatives who hate that I, a young woman, have opinions? Again, I'm going to say the same thing. There's quite a few similar questions on here about dealing with people around you who aren't aligned with your values. Having too many opinions is just the most fucking ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. I think it says a lot more about them than you. I mean, the fact that they don't think that women should be thinking is very interesting. Um, You're supposed to just be some kind of submissive and docile person that doesn't have her own opinions on things so that she's easier to manipulate. There's a lot of history behind that. Uh, Women not having opinions, women not being involved in politics. This is all stuff that we have excluded from women so that we don't think for our fucking selves. Thinking for yourself is the most important important thing. It's the only way that you're ever going to live this life in the way that you want it. Um, And I actively encourage you to think for yourself and to have as many opinions as you want on absolutely everything. Having opinions is fucking cool. Okay, next question. How do you keep yourself so confident and happy? I feel like I've answered this question in many different variations before. Um, I talk a lot about rituals and having things in my life that allow me to connect with myself and surround myself with things that bring me joy. My friend and I, we always talk about how we have to, if we buy, if we have to buy something, we have to buy it in a colour that makes us happy. So let's say you have to buy a new bin for your apartment. I'm not going to get a black bin. I'm going to get a pink or a yellow bin. If I need to buy coffee mugs, I'm not going to buy a bland coffee mug. I'm going to buy a coffee mug that's yellow or orange. I'm going to buy things in a colour scheme that make me happy and evoke the most joy out of me. And I know that that sounds very, that is going to sound so materialistic, but we all need these things, right? We all need a bin and we all need something to drink out of. And I like to make sure that all of the things around me, if there is the option to have it in a nicer colour, that is going to make my fucking day. And that's no exaggeration. I love beautiful, pretty things and I surround my life with colours that make me happy. That's why I started making art because I love visual things. I love typography. I love I love artwork. I've surrounded myself with art always. Um, when I was at college, I used to read all these fashion magazines and zines. I love colours and I love art. But yeah, but back to rituals, I just think that having 
daily rituals and surrounding yourself with things that just make you so happy and people that make you happy. And if there aren't people around you that make you happy, then you you know don't see them at all. That's That's been my kind of approach to it. And I know that we do rely on people and communities to make us feel good about ourselves. And self-love also needs community to be able to thrive. You can't just independently love yourself like some kind of princess in a castle who's entirely self-serving. That's just not how the world works. But Sometimes you do need periods of isolation so that you can work on being more in alignment with yourself. I fall out of alignment when I'm around people that I have to pretend to like. And then you kind of realize you're like, why am I pretending to like these people? We have nothing in common. The only thing we have in common is is that we have a shared history and maybe I've known you for a while. I think it's it's looking at your life and analyzing your life and not in a judgmental way, but just looking at the areas that you feel could be sparking more joy, Marie Kondo style. Thank you so much for all of your questions. That's all we've got time for this week. Can't wait to see you next week. Love you. Bye.